Isn't that great? How many wish you could sing like that? It's good to have Danny with us. Thank you so much, Danny. I've shared with you that we're sharing uh, during this month of September what we call onesies, and that is taking one Sunday to cover a topic that God has put on my heart. And we're headed up towards October where we're starting a series called Home Improvement. How many of you could stand some home improvement? Guy named Tim is going to be here to share. I'm just kidding. I'm just making sure y'all are listening. But we're going to be talking about home improvement. Spend the month of October on that, and it's going to be good. So I encourage you to get ready. If you're not married, you're single, you live alone, it still matters to you because it has to do with relationships, and it's important. So, but today I want to talk to you about something very close to my heart that's been moving on me more and more. And I want to encourage you, grab your cell phone and turn it off. Turn off your blackberry, raspberry, strawberries, turn them all off. And I want to ask there to be as little movement as possible. If you're going to have to get up in the middle of the message for any reason, go towards the back now because people come a long ways to hear the Word of God. And you got to be thinking of that. And so if you're going to be up and down, then do it right now and move towards the back because we are filming as well. And if we catch you on camera, getting up and walking around, we're going to put you on the internet. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Sort of. You may end up on there by default. All right. But I want to talk to you today about the loss of honor. The loss of honor. And let's look at Ezekiel 22, verse 26. Notice what happened. God is talking about the priests who were supposed to be upholding God's word. It says, your priests violated my law and desecrated my holy things. And then God tells why they did it. They can't tell the difference between sacred and secular. What a statement. And they tell people there's no difference between right and wrong. They would have fit in our day, wouldn't they? Really politically correct, no difference between right and wrong. It's all your truth. Well, notice the correlation. Your priests have desecrated my holy things because they can't tell the difference between right and wrong, secular and sacred. Now let's go to a quick story, one that we all know. Moses is walking along one day, says, shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. And it says, the angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire, blazing out of the middle of a bush. He looked, and the bush was burning, but it didn't burn up. What a sight that must have been. On fire, but not being consumed. So Moses said, well, what's going on here? I can't believe this. Amazing. Why isn't the bush burning up? God saw that he, he had uh, stopped to look. And so God called to him from out of the bush, from out of the fire, God spoke, Moses, Moses. In the early service, I was two decibels lower. <laughs> Moses. Now watch. Moses said, yes, I'm right here. And God said this to him, don't come any closer. First, remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground, translated. Nothing wrong with the sandals, but removing them was a sign of respect 
for the glory of God and the presence of God. Father, we just pray that you will teach us to make the distinction between the sacred and the secular, the holy and the common. Speak to us today as a church body. And I pray that, Lord, you will also speak to the listeners by radio. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me just uh, deal with this today. This has been on my heart for a long time, growing. And I do want to talk about the importance of making a distinction between the sacred and the secular, the common and the holy. These priests that were supposed to be preaching that and teaching that to the people had failed. Now, God is rebuking them in the text we read out of Ezekiel. He's rebuking the priests for failing to distinguish between clean and unclean, sacred and secular, good and bad, light and dark, right and wrong, holy and common. They were not making the distinction. Now, one of my calls as a preacher of the Word of God is to do that very thing. It is to make a distinction and to help you to make a distinction between what is right and wrong, good and bad, light and dark, sacred and secular, holy and common. Because what had happened is, because of the priest's failure to teach the people that there was a difference between those two things, because of their failure, the the lines had become blurred in the minds of God's people. They only saw a pale shade of gray. They weren't seeing light, dark, clear distinctions. And because they didn't see any difference between the sacred and the secular, they ended up profaning God. See, you can profane God or you can offend the Holy Spirit without even knowing it if you're not taught the difference between sacred and secular because there is a difference. And not only did they profane God, but because they profaned God, they were brought into judgment by God because they were profaning him and offending him. And God went straight to the priest and said, because you have not made the distinction, your people are going astray. So i got to tell you, I think one of the crying needs in America today is for preachers to stand in the pulpit and say, this is wrong, this is right, this is light, this is dark, this is bad, this is good, this is holy, this is common. Now in the second text, we find Moses herding his sheep like any other day when suddenly he encounters an amazing sight, a bush on fire but it's not burning up. There's no smoke rising in the air. This is not a normal fire. It's a supernatural fire. And as he approached the burning bush, God spoke out of it and commanded him to not come any closer without taking his sandals off because, quote, you're standing on holy ground. Now, think with me a minute in the natural. Moses was standing on desert dirt. There was nothing unusual about the dirt that he was standing on. So what made the difference? Why did God say, you're standing on holy ground? Here's the difference. He said it because the presence of God made it holy ground. The presence of God made it holy. The fire of God was there. The presence of God was there. The voice of God was there speaking. And that's what made it holy ground. Now, let me give you a principle today that we need to learn. A thing is made sacred 
or holy based on its relation to God. What makes something sacred? What makes something holy? What makes something that we ought to value higher than other things? It's closeness or it's proximity, it's nearness to God. God was on that ground. The voice of God was speaking out of that flame. And so the closer that Moses got, he was beginning to tread where the presence of God was. So God was saying, you need to show me reverence. You need to show me respect. You need to be in awe. I want you to understand, Moses, there is a difference between normal dirt and dirt that my presence is on. Now let me give you a couple of examples. Remember, something is made sacred or holy or something that we are to honor higher than other things by its relation to God. I'm holding in my hand a Bible. You've got a Bible with you. If you've got a Bible, hold it right up in the air and say, here it is. Here's my sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, can I tell you that you're holding in your hand the most valuable book in the world. What makes it valuable? It's relation to God. Because this book says of itself, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So God breathed out this word. It is not a normal word. In my library, I've got a lot of books that I value, that I treasure, that I return to over and over again and read them. They are the tools of my trade. I use them to get messages ready to share with you. But there is one book that is more important to me than any book in the world. If I were isolated on an island somewhere and I was asked, what one thing do you want? I would say, give me the word of God. Because this is God's book. Now, I don't worship this book, but I do worship the God of this book. I don't worship this book, but I worship the God that gave me this book. And since it is the very God-breathed word, it's more valuable than anything you've got. It's more valuable than some gold watch. It's more valuable than a big house. It's more valuable than that new car. This is the greatest treasure we have right here, this book. So because of its proximity to God, I value it highly. It means more to me than a normal book. Now let me make another example. Your body our bodies. The world tells us that they are common. That is, that they are ours to do with as we please. You, you, you've heard it out there. You, you hear it everywhere, read it everywhere. It's your body. Do with it as you please. But the Bible addresses this attitude. And Paul the Apostle talked about this attitude right off the bat. As a matter of fact, he quotes people who have made this statement to him in his day. He said, the body uh, I have the right to do anything with my body. I've got the right. Paul writes right here in 1 Corinthians 6. He's quoting them. I've got the right to do anything I want with my body, including sexual immorality. I do anything I want with it. It's my body. You've heard it. It's the attitude of our culture. Now Paul answers it, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's the way he responds to that. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? My arm is a part of me. It's one of my members. The Bible is telling us that you and I, we as God's church, are members of the body of Christ. So we are in close proximity to him. 
Paul goes on to say, the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And do you not know that your bodies are temples, the house, the home of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Therefore, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, not with dollars, not with Deutschmarks, not with yen, not with any worldly currency. You were bought by the heavenly currency of the blood of Christ. Your body has been purchased by God. So he owns it. He owns it. Now say with me, my body is not my own. Do you really believe that? When you leave today and you're going down the line there at the restaurant and you see the chocolate cake? Your body is not your own. It's his. And because God says, I lay claim to it, it's in close proximity to me. Guess what? Your body is a sacred thing in this respect. That you're to respect it and honor it. He says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. And that means sanctify yourself. Set your bodies apart to the Lord because they are holy unto him. So my body, your body, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a valuable thing. And it's owned by God. He purchased it with his blood. And it's that way with everything else in life. When something is attached to God, we should honor it. I know you're thinking, and I want you to think. God's presence, his presence, lives inside of you. That makes it holy ground. God's presence made the normal ground Moses stood on sacred and holy and special because God was there. Moses recognized the difference and took off his sandals before conversing any further with the Lord because he recognized this is sacred it's holy. It's special because God is here. Now, why would I speak on this today? Because I believe the same thing that happened to Israel has happened to America, even a lot of American Christians. Here's what's taking place. We have lost the difference between what is sacred and what is common, what is ordinary. Between what is holy and what is ordinary. What is attached to God and what is not. And we're treating both the same when they're not the same at all. We treat with callous casualness what ought to be treated with honor. It shows up everywhere in our country and in our culture. Think about it for a minute. For instance, let me give you an example, the tragic example or the tragic practice of abortion in America. It reveals our loss of understanding of the sacredness of life. Because the Bible says that God forms us in our mother's womb. We have lost that. We've lost the sacredness of life through abortion. Because of abortion, there's an entire generation that is not, that doesn't exist. It's not here. It's not among us. An entire generation of tax-paying Americans, of many that would have become believers and served the Lord and shared the gospel. Only God knows the full extent of the magnitude of the tragedy of the, the practice of abortion in this country. And the only reason I bring it up is because it reveals the loss of the discernment 
between what is ordinary and what is sacred, what God is behind and what he's not. And we've lost the sacredness of life. And it has hurt us in so many ways. It would take a mighty revelation of God falling upon us to open our eyes and show us what it's really done. As a pastor of many years, I've noticed that we increasingly treat church buildings no differently from McDonald's or a mall. Because we're forgetting that God is in the house. And when God is in the house, it makes this holy ground. This is not a mall. It's not a McDonald's. It's not a Burger King. It is not a walk in the park. This is God's house. Sometimes during services, we get up and down and up and down, casually strolling down the aisles, looking around, taking our time, disrupting messages and worship as if we were at a baseball game. And we're not. This is not a baseball game. When the Word of God, when the Word of God is being ministered to people and they have driven from miles around to hear it and it's going forth and He's dealing with their hearts and touching them and changing them and convicting them, we need to realize that the holy activity of God is afoot and therefore we need to honor it and respect it and be in awe of it and recognize this is not ordinary. This is the time that God moves. Churches are regularly robbed and vandalized. That's something you never read about before. It didn't happen so much because even a criminal would say, that's a church building. But I read this week that there is a plague of churches being robbed and vandalized thieves going up on the roofs taking whole air conditioning units away all of the copper stealing it out of the church one church i read about this week has been hit four times in one year robbed and vandalized and and the copper wiring within the building stolen by thieves who are not saying to themselves this is sacred this is god's house really i shouldn't do this to god's house it's all blurred it's all a pale shade of gray it's all marginalized now there's no difference when in fact there is there is a difference we take symbols of christianity like the cross nativity scenes even the lord jesus himself and we include them in so-called works of art when they are actually depictions of blasphemy showing utter disregard for what is holy and sacred. And there's a lot of people on this planet, if they don't repent and get saved, they have a horrible judgment coming to them for they have mocked and ridiculed the very Son of God and the blood He shed for us. And it's sacred. What disturbs me more than anything else is there's no outcry from the church when these things happen. I mean, we ought to be sometimes marching on Washington and saying, how in the world could the National Endowment of Arts take our tax money and use it to blaspheme our God? This has got to stop. But there's no fear of God in Washington. There's no fear of God in the National Endowment of the Arts. After all, it's just art. I'm just expressing myself. I dare you to put a depiction of Muhammad in a jar of urine like they did the cross. Why won't you do it? Because you want to keep your head. But they took the cross and put it in a jar of urine and called it art. 
No more sacred, no more holy. No more sense of what is right and wrong, light and dark. And God wants to restore that. And listen, we as the church among all people cannot lose that distinction. We need to know when we're standing on holy ground and what is holy and the things of God that are holy and to be respected. When these things happen, this dumbing down in a culture, it produces a crude coarseness and a lack of refinement typical of pagans and barbarians and if we're not careful when you lose that distinction and no longer recognize the holy and the sacred you're on a downward spiral as a culture and you will become barbaric if you don't turn around so I'm bringing this message to say let's honor God let's honor his name let's honor his word let's honor his presence let's make a distinction so let me just give you a fact of life today Some things are common and some things are holy. Some are sacred and some are secular. Some are worthy of honor and others aren't. And that's just the way that it is. Moses first had to remove his sandals, which was a sign of honor and a sign of respect for God's presence before Almighty God entered into a life-changing conversation with him. He said, off come the sandals. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to honor his presence. And as soon as he did it and took a few more steps, Moses heard the call of his life. God began to speak to him when Elijah, the prophet, was holed up in a cave following his flight from Jezebel. We're told that a great wind and a great earthquake and a great fire passed before him at the mouth of the cave. Here comes this rumbling earthquake, this roaring fire, this screaming wind. But after each manifestation, the Bible says, God was not in the wind, fire, or earthquake. He wasn't in them. And then the Bible says a still, small voice spoke. And when he heard the still, small voice... The Bible says when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He took his cloak and wrapped his face in it when he knew that he had encountered the voice of God. And the act of wrapping his face in his cloak signified his respect for the presence of God. Because in that day, covering the face was a token of respect and awe and honor. And he said, this is not normal. That was the voice of God. I'm covering my face in respect. Now, following his response of honor and reverence, God again spoke to him and gave him a brand new assignment with Moses and Elijah both. Listen carefully. Reverence preceded revelation reverence preceded revelation now if i'm going to get up and i'm going to go to church and drive all that way to church and take the time and trouble to get there i want to hear from god i want a revelation i want the lord to speak to me so when we come in here we need a reverence i'm not talking about being so uptight you won't move but i mean reverence his presence, realizing this is not a football game. This is a church where God says, I'm moving and I'm speaking and I want to bless you. Now on the flip side, an example of somebody that didn't honor what was sacred and holy is the high priest Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. 
Scripture has not one good thing to say about those two boys. They were the sons of the high priest, but they didn't get it. It had not rubbed off on them. And the Bible says that they were wicked. We're told they sinned against the Lord. We're told they made themselves contemptible, which means they brought the curse and the wrath of God upon themselves. Well, what did they do that was so bad? These two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, what did they do that was so bad? Though they were priests under their father, they had no sense of what was sacred, what was holy. They had no discernment, no respect for the presence of God. The Bible tells us that they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. In their greed and lack of respect for God, they took the meat that belonged to the Lord for the sin offering. Think about that. The people were bringing lambs. They would slay the lamb. It was a lamb for their sin, a sin offering. And the Bible says that these two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, instead of offering the meat offering to the Lord for the sin offering, they would take it and eat it themselves. They treated the sin offering of God like a happy meal. They saw no difference between regular meat and the meat that was there to be offered to the Lord. And because they failed to discern, God brought them under judgment. The Bible says they stood at the door of the temple of God and seduced the women that came there, not caring or discerning. This is the very temple of God. If you're going to live a sinful life, that's bad enough. But if you're going to live a sinful life right at the door of the temple and use the temple as a means to seduce others into sin, you are not discerning or honoring the presence of God at all. And two chapters later, 1 Samuel 4, they were killed in judgment. Now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's Old Testament. That's heavy stuff. I, I just don't see that in the New Testament. I'm glad you said that. Because in the New Testament, a problem had developed with the communion service in the Corinthian church. The Bible says that Paul says they were not discerning or honoring the Lord's body when they partook. Here comes the bread. Here comes the wine. They weren't discerning what it stood for, what it meant, that it was different. This wasn't normal bread. It wasn't normal wine. Now, Paul, in response to it, writes these words in 1 Corinthians 11. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't discern the difference between the Lord's body and blood and normal bread and wine, you can profane God and bring judgment on yourself. Like Hophni and Phinehas, the Corinthians weren't discriminating between the bread, which represented the Lord's body, and common ordinary food. Now, when we take communion, it represents the Lord. We do not believe that the bread literally becomes the body of the Lord or that the wine literally becomes his blood. But here's what we do believe. It represents the Lord's body and the Lord's blood. Therefore, it is sacred because of its nearness to God. It is be to be treated differently than normal bread and normal wine because it is representative of the broken body of Jesus Christ who was whipped for us, crucified for us, and then raised from the dead for us. It represents that. So when it comes my way, 
I'm not just grabbing a normal wafer, but I'm saying, Lord, thank you that you gave your back to the smiter's whip so that I could be healed, delivered, made whole inside and out. And thank you, Lord, that the body this represents was buried and then on the third day came up out of the dead resurrected by the power of God and so shall I be and when I take the bread and the cup I'm preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ till he comes again now but what were they doing in, in Corinth what were they doing the Bible tells us that they were eating the bread to satisfy their hunger when they were hungry, they just went to the communion service and grabbed a big chunk of the bread and ate it because they were hungry. They were filling themselves on bread dedicated to the Lord. And then they went even further. Some were getting drunk from communion wine, totally debasing the Lord's Supper because they weren't discerning the sacred from the secular. And Paul says that as a consequence, are you ready? This is heavy. But Paul says many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Everybody say, Lord, help me. Now, why did they die? Why did some of them get sick? Because they weren't distinguishing sacred from secular, holy from common. They lost it. And there was a difference between the two. Now, on a lighter note, these, because <laughs> I hear some of you going, whoa, I'm not coming back to church during communion. Now listen, these are Bible examples illustrating there is a difference between what is sacred and what is common, what is holy and what is not, and how we should view and treat them differently. Now, in light of this, I'm going to share with you two important truths. First one, those that honor God, making a distinction between what is holy and what is ordinary, will be blessed. How many of you want to be blessed? And the rest of you, what's wrong with you? Let me ask again, how many of you want to be blessed? That's more like it. Now, guess what? One of the ways we get blessed is by honoring God, by making a distinction between what is holy and what is common. And the things of God, when we treat them with respect and treat them with honor and treat them with awe and treat them differently, then God says this in 1 Samuel 2.30. He says, but now the Lord says, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Those who honor me, I will honor them. Now that word honor is powerful. It means to prevail or to be promoted. Now look what God is saying. If you honor him. You know, that, that Bible is special to me. The presence of God is special to me. I show reverence to the things of God. When I honor God, then God says there is a connection between honoring Him and prevailing in spiritual warfare. Some of you just say, well, I just thought I was supposed to rebuke the devil. There's a lot of ways you rebuke the devil. The Bible says, submit therefore to God, then you resist the devil and he will free, flee from you. You can quote the Bible to the devil, you can rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus, but you can also honor God and when you honor God, that is an act that rebukes the devil. And boy, what about divine 
promotion. Anybody in here want to be promoted by the Lord? You want a promotion from the Lord? The Bible says, those that honor me, I will honor. You know, I, I honor God. I've got a, a little thing that I do. And there are several things that I do that I honor God about, ways that I do honor God that you don't know anything about. I'll tell you one of them. When I'm writing, I will always capitalize the personal pronouns that have anything to do with God. I always capitalize him. I always capitalize he. Why? Because he's worth being capitalized. I will not, I will not uh, use a small case to refer to God, doesn't matter how far in the sentence I've gone, when I'm talking about he or talking about him, I make it a capital because my God is worthy of being capitalized. And guess what? I have a real hard time giving Satan a capital S. I like small casing Satan. I like small casing Satan because Satan is not worthy of it. Now you may think, well, that's kind of weird, Pastor Jeff. Listen, I speak through my writing, and I'm, I have a real hard time capping devil. I put it all in small case, and a lot of the times I do capital H, capital I, capital M, capital H, capital E, because my God is worthy of large case, I capitalize him. It's just a little thing I do to honor God, because I can't bring myself to put a little H next to anything referring to him. Well, Pastor Jeff, that's going pretty far. I go real far with it because I want to be blessed and he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of being promoted by the words of our mouth and our actions. We need to be a God honoring people that when there's anything that God's got his hand on, we immediately show respect and honor and awe and deference. Second and last, the vertical honoring of God this way leads to the horizontal honoring of those we're supposed to honor. Let me give you a fact of life. I guarantee you if you don't honor God and that which is sacred, you will never honor people. Honor begins with honoring God. When you honor God and you come under his authority, you have no problem honoring others, the police, those that are in military service, parents, school authorities. When you can honor God, you can honor others. Listen, for instance, the fifth of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth commandment of the ten. Ephesians 6.2 quotes this commandment and also adds that it's the first commandment with a promise attached to it. Here's the promise. If you honor your mom and your dad, it will be well with you and you will live long on the earth. That's the first commandment. Honor your parents. Honor your mom and dad is the first commandment with a promise. Now look what you're going to miss if you can't honor the people you're supposed to honor. When you honor your mom and your dad, you're going to live a long time and your life will be full of many good things. I don't know about you, but life is short and the more good things that can fill my life and the longer I can live it, the more I can preach. I want to be preaching when I'm 80. I really do. I don't have any intention of retiring. 
I'm going to transition maybe, but I will not retire. Retirement is not in my playbook. As long as I can stand up here and let it go, I'm going to stand up here and let it go. And I want to live a long life. Sure, I want to go to heaven someday, but I've still got things to do. Now, if the Lord comes right now, you're not going to hear me complaining. But I do want to live a long life, not just a long one, but a blessed one. You can live a long life that's not blessed and you want it to end. But I want to live a long life because I'm enjoying life. Here's an irrefutable principle of life. You will treat something in direct proportion to how much you honor it. You will not treat something right if you don't honor it. Husbands, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, live with your wife in ways that honor her, knowing that she is the weaker partner. That doesn't mean that she's weaker mentally. You ladies say amen. I'm about to help you here. It doesn't say weaker mentally. It doesn't say that, that you're less than, have less value than. He's just simply talking about the woman is generally weaker than the man. Now, I've known a few exceptions where the woman could whoop that man, and he knew it. I've known him. And it affects the whole submission relationship. He's the head, but she's the neck that turns the head. Amen? But for the most part, he's saying women are weaker than men. So he says, honor her all the more, as she is also a co-heir of the grace of life. Notice he says, honor her. And do this so that your prayers won't be hindered. Well, what is he saying? Notice the correlation. Honor your wife and you will treat her in honoring ways. An honoring attitude brings honoring actions. When I can honor God and the things of God and show respect and deference and awe to that which is of God and honor him learning it this way, then I can transfer it this way. And I can honor God everywhere I see him. I can honor him. And when I do, he says, long life. He says, good things. He says, victory in warfare. He says, promotion. We've got to learn to honor what God is attached to. Amen? Can we stand together? And with your heads bowed, I want to ask you a real important question. More than anything else, we should honor the Son of God. Jesus Christ and the cross where he died for us. Honor begins right there where the Son of God gave his life, where Jesus was nailed to that cross, where his blood spilled, innocent blood, pure blood, sacrificial blood to cover your sin and cover mine. There the Son of God died so that we could live. Have you been to the cross for forgiveness? Have you been there? Have you taken advantage of the forgiveness that can be found there? Now you may have been to the cross years ago at some time in your life, but you've drifted. And you've gotten away from Him. You know what God is saying today?
Why not start honoring me again? Honoring Him is the beginning of a blessed life. Start right there and honor Him. Have you been there? To the cross. Maybe you've never in your life been to that cross where God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe you haven't been there. Do you know that God is calling you today to go there and let Him change you from the inside out? Why would you put it off? Why would you leave here today and say, you know, someday. Can I tell you that Satan's favorite word is someday? Because someday becomes never. Why would you leave today and get in your car and drive away when right now you can begin honoring God by letting Him come into your heart and your life, take control, take charge, lead you, bless you, guide you. You can be young, old, in between, doesn't matter. God is watching and God is calling. And I want to assure you that when you come to the cross and bow the knee, say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need to get right with you. I want to begin to honor God in my life. Boy, he comes in and he begins to bless you, change you, and make you what you've really always wanted to be. So with your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I am in one of those two categories. I gave my life to him where I came to the cross years ago, but I've drifted and I know I've drifted. Or I've never gone to the cross. If you're in one of those two categories, can you just slip your hand up and say, I want to honor God today. Put them up high and fast, quickly. I want to see you. God bless you, many of you. I want to honor God. I want you to do something. I want you to slip out from where you are. Forget about people. It doesn't matter what people think. Jesus walked up Golgotha's hill, naked and bleeding and ashamed for you. People mocking and ridiculing as he walked up that hill, carrying that cross on his trembling back. We can walk down here. And just say, Jesus, I'm going to honor you today. So I want you to do something. If you raise your hand, come now. Come right now. Just slip out and come. Stand right here from where you are. Don't worry about what people think. As soon as you take a step, God is going to bless you. Honor God. Come and honor God today. This is your moment, your hour, your time to get right with him. Keep coming, keep coming. We're going to believe God to bless you, minister to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Still some coming. I'm going to wait. Not much longer, though. The call is here, and God is blessing. And this is the moving of his spirit. This is the kind of moment that you hallow and that you treat with respect and with awe. 
because this is the hand of God. Thank you, Lord. Isn't this just a beautiful sight, all these people? Now, I want you to say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead. Jesus, take charge of my heart and life. I honor you today by obeying your word. Thank you for cleansing me of all unrighteousness. Now, Lord, from this moment forward, order my steps, guide my way, and help me to live a life that honors God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now, y'all look up at me a minute. Now, Lord, I pray.